On Thursday, I was up in Fort Wayne, actually my first time ever in Fort Wayne, for the first vows of a friend of mine with a new Franciscan community up there. And I've known this guy for a number of years. He was actually friends with my younger brothers first, and then when he started discerning priesthood and religious life, we became close. And I was an honor and a privilege to be there as a concelebrant at the Mass. And one thing that was striking to me about this community of Franciscans is the poverty with which they live. The only thing they own is their habit. And they don't really even own that. It's the communities. The only thing they have is their habit. In fact, they don't even wear shoes. They sleep on the floor. They don't have refrigerators. And they beg for anything that they need or even want. They have an extreme response to the gospel. And though it is extreme, it's not unique. And it's not unrelatable for us because... Anyone who has responded to the desire to love and to love knows what this is like in one way, shape, or form. So, for instance, if you are married, you know the exact same radical response to love. The response to love is to love, to continue to give of yourself for the greater good of the other and for the whole. Not only that, in our professional lives. We sometimes have to make a decision between doing something that I love versus doing something that will pay the bills, doing something that will bring me worldly success or ambition. And I probably am preaching in the choir in that, and in this, you know, in Bloomington, it's a college town that in pursuing academic uh, pursuits, oftentimes you don't necessarily come with, you know, monetary gain in that. I was a middle, or a middle school teacher in a Catholic school before I became a priest, and I, I didn't get rich that year doing that. So I, in one way, I understand. But not only that, so like the big pictures, marriage, career, we understand that. We also understand it in the little things. Being here at Mass is a radical response and an extreme response in our culture to love. And here's the thing, is that all of our responses to love need to be first and foremost a response of love back. If we don't respond to love with love, the commandments that we're asked to follow become burdens. That these men up in Fort Wayne who are living a rigorous and zealous pursuit of gospel poverty, evangelical poverty, if their response is to do that is anything other than love, it will destroy them. And the same thing it is for us. No matter what we pursue, if our first response isn't one of love, of self-sacrifice, of self-renunciation for the greater good of the other and for the building up of the kingdom, then we're going to fail. We're going to struggle. We're never going to be the great person God created us to be. In the second reading, St. Peter tells us, be ready to defend your faith. And so the way we respond to love is not necessarily in the big, grandiose things, but we're ready each and every day when we respond simply to love, with love. In the way of our world, in the walk of life, every day we have the opportunity to walk with Jesus, to imitate Jesus as St. Peter encouraged us, to be righteous for the unrighteous, to follow God's commandments, to love deeply, not so that I can be better than everyone else, but so that I can drag a few more people with me to heaven and to a righteous life and to a good life and to a, a life of love. And when we start this walk, when we start this daily walk of constantly being prepared to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, we recognize two things that the Scripture shows us clearly today. The first is our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit, and the second is the absolute necessity of the church 
in helping us live out that Holy Spirit-driven, that love-driven life to the best, of our, the best possible way. So first, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in the Gospel that I will give you, God will give you another advocate to be with you always. St. Paul goes a little further, and Jesus says it here, he'll dwell with you. St. Paul says to us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that God himself dwells within us. And so any movement that I have, any step that I have towards love, towards God, towards goodness, towards goodness, beauty, truth, whatever, that is always started by the Holy Spirit. And yet when I turn my heart, when I open my heart to that movement of the Holy Spirit, it creates a greater desire. And we can see how these men can live such a radical response to the gospel. Because when they open themselves more and more to love, and even these great sacrifices and difficulties, they love more. And those sacrifices, which are great, don't become the heavy burden that they would be to someone who's not fueled by love, but become a means by which they can continue to love more fully. And what a great and wonderful gift that is. But we're not just here doing our own thing according to our own feelings of the Holy Spirit. The church helps us. The church comes to us. The church offers us guidance in our walk with the Holy Spirit so that we don't do something crazy or outside of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Philip goes to the Samaritans who were the lowest of the low, the godless, the heathens, and what happens? Holy Spirit makes it possible for Philip to convert the godless to the gospel. What an amazing thing. And yet Peter and John go, perhaps possibly because they didn't believe it was possible for the Samaritans to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to make sure that the gospel preached and the faith received was the fullness of the faith. And this is what the church does for us. The church helps us to realize that in the Holy Spirit, through our baptisms, we can do marvelous things but with the church, and in the church, and through the church, we can do exceptional things. The fullest, the best things. And so, how do we do this? Where do we start? And this is going to be a simple and a maddening answer. That the first thing, the most important thing we can do to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be spirit-driven, to have greater lives, is silence. Silence. Sitting with God and letting him look upon you with love and gazing upon him with love. Now, for those of you who've tried silent prayer or tried meditation, you think to yourself, well, I can't get beyond myself. And that's the beauty of it. Because the first thing we encounter when we go into silence is our greatest combatant. My ego. My pride. My vanity. I see the ugliness in my heart. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because, you know, when we start to see God through all of that, we recognize that, you know what, he loves me in spite of all that. In fact, he loves me because of all that. In fact, he became one of us, died for us, and rose from the dead so that my ugliness could be beautiful. Oh, yeah, and he dwells within me because, again, he wants to make my ugliness beautiful. But I can only start to see that when he peels back the veil, when he shows himself, when he speaks, and that's only possible in silence, St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother, of There Mother Teresa, tells us that the essential thing is not what we say, but it's what God says with us and through us. 
In other words, the saint who was perhaps responsible for the most works of charity in the last century says to us that that's only important insofar as it's fueled by God that comes from silence. When I work and when my work, when my life becomes the mouthpiece of God, then and only then am I doing something beautiful, something wonderful, something truly powerful. I was on retreat last week and I had the opportunity to read a spectacular book by Cardinal Robert Sarah called The Power of Silence. I recommend it to all of you. And he says it clearly here in, uh, in this book. A man of God will legitimately speak in God's name only after encountering him in the silence of the interior desert, conversing with him face to face. All of these things in our life that are before us can be great, can become great, can become even better when we regularly encounter God face to face in silence, in adoration, in a loving gaze. And it's possible in our room, it's possible in the Adoration Chapel over at St. Charles, it's possible sitting in the park, but give yourself every day at least five to 15 minutes, I would say 15 to 20 minutes, of taking time with Scripture, letting God, the Holy Spirit, open your heart, and then spend you know, five minutes reading Scripture, 10 minutes just letting God look upon you and looking upon God's face. Because the great person, the marvelous person, the beautiful person, the good person you are created to be is forged in silence, is emboldened in silence. Because every one of us is called to this radical response to love by following God's commandments in love.